Welcome to Mind Your Own Revisions, a podcast about mental health and burnout in academia for all academics around the world and at every level. I'm Özgün Ünver, a social scientist with a PhD. Having struggled with mental health issues throughout my academic career, it is now my mission to inspire other academics to lift the stigma around mental health. Let's recover together. Hello everyone! Welcome to the fourth episode of Mind Your Own Revisions. Today's topic is the infamous imposter syndrome. First things first, let's define it. Imposter syndrome is a self-perceived intellectual phoniness or fraud. In other words, someone with the imposter syndrome thinks that he or she is a phony or an imposter and their achievements are not in fact theirs. I wanted to have an episode on the imposter syndrome because Despite being such a common phenomenon for high achievers, I've even seen therapists who had not heard of it. In my experience, many people in the academic community know about it, but not all. Even then, imposter syndrome is something I've noticed in many of my colleagues in academia. I've had colleagues who approached me, telling me, Özgün, did you know this thing, this thing called the imposter syndrome. Apparently I have it and I didn't know it was a thing for other people. I thought it was only me. I think it is important to talk about it and to name it so that we can understand that we are not the only one feeling like this. By naming such quote-unquote syndromes, we can put them outside of ourselves and our personalities. In return, we can be able to convince ourselves that the beliefs and thoughts we are flooded with are not due to a personality flaw that we have, but merely a pretty common phenomenon that we share with many of our colleagues. I remember that a few years ago when I first heard about the imposter syndrome, I felt so relieved. That was one of the moments where I said, it's not only in my head, This thing is in the heads of many other people, especially people who are high achievers, like me. And that was the moment where I could just name it and put it somewhere in the back of my head where I could observe it. In that way, it was so much easier for me to notice when the so-called syndrome flared up and messed with my self-confidence. And once I am aware of it, I can actively change it. And so can you. So without further ado, let's start. The imposter syndrome was brought into the light by two psychologists back in 1978, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And at that time, they called it the imposter phenomenon. When these two researchers coined the term, they believed that it is more widespread among women than men. But the research done in the past decades about this phenomenon tells us that men experience this as much as women do. Basically, someone with an imposter syndrome would have ideas that their achievements are because of coincidence or sheer luck, that they got where they are not because they worked hard for it or they deserved it, 
but because others thought that they were more capable than they actually are. It is called imposter syndrome because such a person believes that they act or receive things as if they're competent while they're not. An example would be an opera singer passing a very challenging audition and being selected as the head singer in an opera. So what do you think the people around this person would do, their friends and family? Be happy for them, right? Congratulate them. But if the person has imposter syndrome, they would doubt themselves to such an extent that they would say things like, yeah, thank you, but my biggest competitor wasn't in a good shape that day, so it looked like I was better than him. Or, in fact, I made so many mistakes that I don't understand why they picked me. In my personal life, I have had quote-unquote imposter moments almost every time I achieved something. When I scored high on an exam, I said, "Ah, but the questions were too easy. When I was hired to do my PhD with scholarship in one of the most prestigious universities in Europe, I said, I don't know why they picked me. I don't even have this or that. I don't even know this or that. And even when I defended my PhD and got awarded the title of doctor, I said, "Uh, the jury was too understanding and they overlooked all of my inadequacies and they gave me the degree because they're nice. Yeah, you heard that right. At that moment, I did say out loud that I got a PhD degree because the members of my examination committee were nice. You can see how illogical it is to think in such a way. I mean, why would anyone hire me if they didn't think I was capable of doing the job? Or why would anyone award me the highest academic degree out of kindness? There are three core elements of the imposter phenomenon. One, a belief that he or she has fooled others. Two, a fear of being exposed as an imposter. And three, an inability to attribute own achievement to internal qualities such as ability, intelligence or skills. So all these three criteria must be met for someone to be a quote-unquote imposter. Going back to the example of the opera singer, this person who successfully auditioned and picked as the head role would think, one, that they fooled others into thinking that they are talented. Two, that it is a matter of time that someone finds out that they are not as good as what the others think. And three, that they got the job not because of their ability or hard work, but because someone who is better than them was sick or there was a mistake in the selection procedure or something else happened on the outside for them to be selected. Have you ever had such illogical thoughts? If so, congratulations, you got imposter syndrome. Welcome to the club. But don't worry, so many successful people have imposter syndrome. To name a few, Albert Einstein, Michelle Obama, Agatha Christie, Meryl Streep, Maya Angelou, Neil Armstrong, Tom Hanks, Robbie Williams, David Tennant, 
so many quote-unquote successful high achieving people and I'm not listing these names for paparazzi purposes I'm listing them because these people have been vocal about their experience of the imposter syndrome and I'm happy to hear that this makes me feel understood and not alone in my experience because many times the imposter syndrome is accompanied by anxiety stress rumination or depression mostly because we feel alone in the experience but caution here imposter syndrome is not necessarily related to depression anxiety and worry but there's definitely a correlation that was found in many studies so is imposter syndrome a mental illness would you ask nope the answer is no not according to the scientists who have studied it and also not according to the dsm Clance herself wrote that while it is not a pathological disease the imposter syndrome does interfere with the psychological well-being of the person the thing that gives imposter syndrome its power is our tendency to conceal this pattern of thinking rather than revealing it in other words the imposter syndrome tightens its grip on us as we keep such thoughts of inadequacy to ourselves and not talk about them in this way over time we believe these thoughts more and more and we get stuck in this way of thinking now let's look at some of the behaviors of people who have imposter syndrome one of them is focusing on one's mistakes failures and flaws people with imposter syndrome find it very difficult to embrace recognition praise and compliments any achievement is a result of something outside of them and any failure is their own fault another one is overwork people with imposter syndrome have a strong fear of being found out as a fraud so they try to compensate for it by overworking double or triple checking everything making sure that their work is perfect however the chronic stress of overwork can unfortunately lead to fatigue emotional exhaustion loss of motivation sickness and even burnout thirdly people with imposter syndrome are more likely to be underemployed apparently the quote unquote imposters doubt their capacity to maintain their current performance levels and avoid applying to higher functions with additional responsibilities and this may happen despite the evidence to the contrary in the academic world imposter syndrome can manifest as a driving force of behaviors such as not applying for a promotion or for instance tenure track avoiding challenging projects that offer new opportunities not looking for alternative employment in another organization or sector not wanting to attend and speak up in conferences bypassing opportunities to submit their work to journals and also avoiding networking or in other words engaging with experts in their fields who are highly recognized the causes of the imposter syndrome are still unknown as far as i know we don't have scientific knowledge about why this happens but there are lots of clinical observations and anecdotal evidence of course 
And it seems like one of the potential causes of the imposter syndrome could be the mixed messages from family when growing up, namely praise and criticism. The higher the expectations of the caregivers, the more the individual would grow up doubting themselves. This is not to say that the expectations of the caregivers can be objectively measured and scaled. It is rather the experience of the individual who ends up with the syndrome. So it doesn't mean that anyone who gets criticized as a child will end up with an imposter syndrome. Closing this episode, I have two questions for you today. Firstly, do you think you are harder on yourself than you are on others when it comes to expectations and mistakes? And how do you feel when you look at your own achievements more objectively? And secondly, if you are one of the people who experienced the imposter phenomenon, how does knowing its name and, and how widespread it is make you feel? Please do get in touch and let me know. Finally, I would like to repeat the announcement I made in the last episode. As you know, this podcast aims to talk about burnout in academia as well. I have my own experience with burnout, but I would like to be able to share others' experiences as well. So I'm looking for brave souls who are willing to have a short interview with me. I want to do this because burnout manifests itself in many different ways because of many different reasons for each person who goes through it. These interviews will help me prepare a series of episodes regarding burnout in academia and share a collective story of academics who end up in exhaustion and some other physical or mental problems due to overwork and high-intensity chronic stress. The interviews will be totally confidential. There will be no recordings of them. And if I talk about your personal experience on the podcast, it will be totally anonymous. So please do come forward if you're willing to share your story with me and with a wider audience. This will be a huge opportunity both for me and for the listeners of this podcast to learn from your experiences. You can contact me via the contact button of the Facebook, LinkedIn or Instagram page of Mind Your Own Revisions. I cannot wait to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, please start following Mind Your Own Revisions on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your academic friends about this podcast. What are your thoughts about today's topic? I would love to hear from you. Until next time, bye!